ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Extra Canon Podcast. I am your host, Rob Worthington, uh, and we're here to talk a little bit about uh, an Arsenal win, which uh, it's actually been a little while since uh, since we've had one. Two losses on the bounce, as uh, Declan Rice said in uh, the post-match interview, and as he well said at Arsenal Football Club, you cannot lose more than two games on the bounce. And uh, the boys last night made sure that... Uh, that didn't happen, and it was a, a good little win for the Arsenal. Um, I only managed to watch uh, the the first half of the match, well, not even live. Um, I said to the boys that I might not be able to watch because um, it was my friend's birthday at uni, and uh, Daniel quite right, rightly said that I should should have just ended that friendship on the spot, uh, and maybe I should have, but uh, I didn't. So only watched the first half when I when I got back. Um, but uh, I suppose that's like quite good from a hosting position because I can genuinely ask questions about how uh, how the game went, uh, especially that second half. But um, yeah, I'll be asking those questions to uh, two members of the sort of classic quadfecta that you get on these shows. Um, the first of those is the man who most regularly joins me on the Extra Cannon podcast. It is your boy, Mac Johnson. How you doing, Mac? I am. Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm having a good time. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast and a pleasure to have you joining us, Robbie. Um, for those interested, this was originally meant to be an all Yank episode. Uh, we're recording at about Couldn't five. let that happen. Like almost six p.m., which means it's almost eleven uh, across the pond for Rob, and we love him for for showing up and stepping up and recording with us. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. I am very much grateful for a win. It's been an interesting day, a lot of highs and lows. It's been the warmest day we've had in a little bit here in good old Washington D.C. So I spent a lot of time outside. I also got rejected for the job that I talked about in I <laughs> my interview for in our last podcast, but. That's all right. Just means I get to dedicate more of myself to speaking to all of you lovely people about Arsenal Football Club. Uh, yeah, man. Just good to be here. Smile on my face. Happy days. Yeah, that's the way to do it, boy. And uh, yeah, sorry about the uh, the job rejection, but uh, yeah, you'll get one eventually. And it's their loss. It's their loss at the end of the day. And um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe we'll start paying you now. Um, the rest of us take a cut from this and. It's a bit awkward, really. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Finton is also here. Um, he's sort of the main character of the show, and uh, well, not this one, but of, of the quad factor. And uh, that's why I'm here at 11 o'clock on a, on a Thursday night talking, because we have to make, make time for this uh, self-proclaimed diva of a man. Um, but yeah, let me uh, just pass the mic over to him. How are we doing, Dad? Um, great. Um, feels good to be the highest paid person at We Love You Arsenal Production. So yes, I am the diva. Um, I have, I can't confirm, I have secured about $2.28 from this podcast over the years. So yeah, basically yachts for all of the listeners on me. Um, dude, honestly, it feels weird to be on here. Like I haven't been on a podcast for weeks, man. Just started a new job myself. Not trying to rub it in, Mac. Um, and uh, just... <laughs> I like that one. Um, yeah, man, uh, the schedule stinks, so you'll probably be hearing less of me, uh, which sucks. But we're going to get on when we can, man. And basically, I'm back in the stupid position that I always find myself in. And Mac's going to find this when he does get that job. Um Arsenal games really are not congruent with the working man's schedule in the United States at all. It'll just be like, yeah, you know, Champions League game on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. It's like, oh, wonderful. My entire country is at work right now. Um, but we got to figure it out. We smuggle the freaking telephone in there, and we watch it against the boss's wishes. We got to do what we got to do. Um, but, yeah. Thanks for having me, boys. Love to be on the Extra Cannon Podcast. I'm not going to do what Alfie does and be like, the big guy's here, blah, blah, blah. Fuck that, dude. I'm a humble legend. Everyone already knows he's here. You, you don't need to say that kind of shit, whereas Alfie Colshaw does because he's embarrassing. Um, Spot on. That is for you, Alf, because I know you're listening right now. Um, Daniel used a sort of Matt Johnson word there as well, congruent. Um, surprised, surprised to hear it come out of your mouth. He's been, yeah, he's been tutoring me lately. Oh, really? Nice, nice. Where have you found the time for that, you two? Whilst you could have been recording, you've been having these little <laughs> unofficial calls. It's horrible stuff. Um, but anyway, let's get into um, 
get into Sevilla. Uh, a nice little 2-1 win. Uh, sorry, 2-0 win for the Arsenal. Uh, I promise I did watch some of the match. Um, let's... Uh, Let's let's do the usual structure. Let's do the good stuff, cannon concerns, and uh, explosive moment. I'll pass over to Mac first, considering he is uh, an official host of this podcast. Um, what's the good stuff, Mac? Hit me. Uh, there is a a lot of good stuff. Um, I think I'm going to go with one of the most obvious examples, um, and that is both the tempo and the directness of our play yesterday um, typified by a couple of players who I think we are going to talk about a fair bit in Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka, who after a, an unbelievably disappointing performance from both against Newcastle really turned up the wick at home against Sevilla. Um, yeah, I just, I really appreciated the high tempo football that was played and what really seemed like clear intent to, to cause problems. Um, it was also nice seeing Landro Trossard come back in and link up and be a little bit more flexible. Um, again, I love Eddie, but I find that there is a certain rigidity to his game that doesn't really get the best out of the people around him. We've had this conversation before. And when he's not scoring, I think his presence can be more of a detracting factor. Um, but yeah, just Trossard's ability to Kai Havertz into some good spaces. Uh, Rob, I think you wrote an article about him today, and I'm sure that's going to get mentioned at some point in this podcast. But also his ability to interchange with Martinelli and get our brilliant Brazilian involved. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff to talk about, but I think everything you know exemplified maybe by that Jorginho pass through to Saka for our first goal. Um, a beautiful pass, amazing vision, but Something we haven't really seen much of, maybe because teams are a little bit better than the teams we typically play, at least, are a little bit better than Sevilla at sitting in a low block and soaking up pressure. But also, it's just nice to see us take chances and take risks and play with a little bit more freedom. Um, I saw a tweet on the timeline, I forget from who, that was uh, from, you know, quote from Martinelli's post-match press conference saying that uh, the manager, Arteta, had, had talked to him in Saka about playing with a little bit more pace, more directness, more energy. And someone had quoted it and responded, so a little bit less Grealish and a little bit more Doku. And I think there are a few better ways to sum it up. Um, yeah, our ringers were electric. Our pace of play was electric. And we looked like ourselves from last season. But I'm going to say a little bit better. And I have reasons for that. So, yeah. That's my good stuff. Well, that's interesting. I'm sure uh, we'll get into that a, a little bit later. Maybe we'll, um, after Daniel's told us his good stuff, we'll be able to pass it back to you, Mac. Um, but yeah, I from what from what I saw from the game, I, I largely agree. But um, I did, you know, whilst I was at this dinner, I did see um, some typically negative Daniel Finton messages popping up on my phone, and I thought maybe we were, we were playing like shit again. Um, did you feel like it took us a little while to go into it, Dan? And and did you think we, we clicked as well as, as Mac as, uh, thinks that we did yesterday? Yeah, no, no. I, I think we definitely did. I'm just an emotional son of a bitch. Um, we just, you know, it, it's it's been a theme this season really for us is we take a minute to grow into games. Um, and I think that comes from us just wanting to have 100% full control of the game. We've seen a couple of times that hasn't really worked to our benefit this season. Um, I feel like we've basically controlled, you know, what, what probably 99% of games that we've uh, been in or, or 99% of the minutes we've had on the pitch, but they don't always go our way. This one though did, I feel like for Mikel Arteta, this was like the perfect, I, I, he's going to get this performance and thumbtack it to the wall and say, this is what I want every week. And we know that's the case. Um, but yeah, you know, I, th I thought it was a slower start than, than I would have preferred. But, you know, that just comes from the fact that I, I want us to get, I wanted to get the three points this uh, game. Then I want those uh, next three points against Lons at home because then at that point, boys, we're done. We won the group. Also and, revenge game. Uh, yeah, that too, you know, definitely. Um, so, you know, I think, I think the most important thing with these group stage matches is, especially if you're in a group that you can easily uh win basically is making that last game 
completely irrelevant. I want us to go to the Netherlands, light up a spliff and call it a day, man. I don't want to be doing any sort of stressful play there. I want to see Ramsdale get his Champions League debut. I want to see, you know, the kids out there. Like, I want it to be irrelevant. So that's where my stress came from. But then I really thought Arsenal did super well to grow into the game. And Rob, if you don't mind, Mr. Host, I'll go into my good stuff from there because I thought there was a uh, there was a few good things uh, on the night. And I'll, I'll kind of make it like a double-sided one. So the first one is a triple-sided one. Um, I'm, it's kind of like the spine of that day that I was just really impressed by. The first one was the signing of the summer not Declan Rice, William Saliba and his new contract. That's the signing of the summer, if you ask me, ladies and gentlemen. William Saliba is the best center back in the world. I mean, he's he is unbelievable on the ball, at tackling, at everything. He's perfect. Then, obviously, speaking of the devil, Declan Rice, fantastic. Again, we talk about players all the time that are these six, seven out of tens. Well, in Declan Rice, we have a motherfucker that's an 8 out of 10 every game. I've never seen anything like it. This guy is special. Um, and then the third member of that spine that I'm going to touch on, actually, is Leandro Trossard. Because I thought his involvement in this game was special. Look, at the end of the day, Bukayo Saka and Martinelli's lack of form really recently... I think you can maybe look towards an Eddie and Ketia. I mean, I, I, I think it's definitely worth exploring that that idea what Trussard brought him into the game I thought he he did really well to um show that he is more than capable of playing in that false nine role and I really enjoyed his performance um obviously capped off by the goal but I thought just overall he had a very good uh display and then uh the the other side of my my good stuff was just we got a performance that Mikel Arteta wanted to see and it worked um I've been questioning why we're moving so slow, why we're not as dynamic. This is why. This is what it's supposed to look like. It just hasn't been looking like that recently because the forwards haven't been firing on all cylinders. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because like we, we I think we've all been sort of like speculating about why. And then Arteta's asked like after the game, like, uh, did you did you like say anything different? And he was just like, "This is how I want them to play every week. I want us to to be a bit more free flowing, attacking, and maybe maybe like the extra emphasis he's been putting on control has has maybe got a bit too far into some of those players' heads. You think about the wingers who weren't taking enough risks, but but um, yeah, clearly." He still wants that element of uh, sort of fun football on on top of the the real solidity at the back. No, I I 100% agree. And, you know, my one worry would be, and I don't wish to be a pessimist. I know I can be a bit insufferable sometimes, so I do apologize. But I think it is also worth noting that Sevilla were absolutely terrible. I mean, they had no ambition to attack at all. They just were like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just literally going to park the bus the entire time, but also somehow leave space in behind. <laughs> so I was like, this is just a dreadful display from a Sevilla team who we all know are the weakest team in the group, which sounds just crazy to say, by the way. Um, but yeah, yeah. Sevilla at home is never going to be the challenge. They're a different kettle of fish when you're, when you're right. at their place, but at home, yeah, and especially without Ramos as well, which I'm sure you were sort of gutted he wasn't there because I, I sort of uh, was in a way I yeah uh I don't know because I kind of worry about uh Trussard versus Ramos to be honest you know I feel like Jesus would be good against him but Trussard worries me yeah I know what you mean I know what you mean um but um it's kind of funny isn't it because we 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 had that sort of spell at the start of 2023 didn't we Matt where Eddie came into the team and he was scoring goals in Jesus's absence, and then it all start turned started to turn a little bit dry. And it feels like maybe we we've just had a, a bit of a repeat of that at, at the start of this season. You know, I'm not saying that we've been playing free flowing football all the way through under under Eddie. He might have scored that hat trick, but that's against possibly the worst side the Premier League has ever seen. And then, you know, the other games that he's, you know, participated in, it hasn't exactly been free-flowing football. So maybe it was just a reminder to Mikel Arteta that 
he also has a guy in Leandro Trossard who, you know, has perhaps proven that he can be a better option at tying things together up front when Eddie isn't available. I mean, you may remember my, uh, what's the best way to put this, disastrous prediction that uh, Eddie and Ketia would only score one goal. I think this it was season. well grounded for us, though, because that's, we saw, yeah. I, and if, and yeah. that's what I'm saying. You know, it's, I predicted that he would be fourth in the hierarchy behind Leandro Trossard and behind likely Kai Havertz, who, as again, you pointed out in your most recent article, brilliant piece, uh, should have a case to play up at center forward. Um, yeah, I think. I really love watching Leandro Trossard because he, of our all of our forwards, I think encapsulates that kind of false nine role the best. He really truly is an internal forward that can drop into the midfield and make space behind and drift out to either flank. And I don't know, he's always supremely confident when he starts through the middle in some ways because he knows that he can end up there if necessary. But I think when you hand him the keys to the kingdom in some ways, when you hand him the the freedom to go and drift and combine and to be as intricate as he is capable of being, it really suits him well. I mean, and I'll also say, you know, I, we, there, there's been some complaints recently from us and a lot of people about having our entire team out of form at one time. And it's interesting, Leandro Trossard for me was almost the ultimate example of that because he would come off the bench he's come off the bench a fair few times this season and scored in critical moments i'm thinking everton where he scored the only goal in the match right but then you compare that to some of his starting performances where for example against city he goes off hurt and martinelli comes on and changes our entire team and kind of provides us with a spark and ends up scoring the winning goal um and this is the first time i've seen trossard really start this season at the center forward position and he just looked to be on it at every moment. So, yeah, I I think there's certainly a case for him to start at the weekend. Um, I don't want to be pejorative in the sense of not necessarily being the most afraid of Burnley, but I think it's it'll be an interesting opportunity for us to rotate and to be a little bit more flexible because I think, especially during even back to preseason, we saw a lot of Trussard at the left eight, in the midfield, out wide, flipping around different positions. And the one place we really didn't see him was center forward. And lo and behold, his best performance of the season has come at center forward. So I don't know. My case, my opinion, Daniel has something to say on this point, and I would love to hear what it is. I was just going to say, I, I don't really see why it's taken him so long to get game time there. I mean, like... I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I, I, look, we everybody listening to this podcast knows that I'm stupid. Uh, we we let's just let's put it out there. We know, but when Leandro Trossard is a guy that clearly specializes in playing centrally, and is also kind of a goal contribution machine, why the hell is he not playing there? I just I just don't really understand. And then especially when you factor in um, the fact that Eddie and Ketia really just sort of disrupts the tempo. He literally cannot combine at all with Gabriel Martinelli. It really just leaves me quite confused to be honest and and I look man I, at the end of the day all Leandro Trossard can do uh the supposedly ill-disciplined Leandro Trossard that we got from Brighton all he can do is what he did against Sevilla get on the pitch show that you should be on the pitch and stay on the pitch I think he's going to start next game against Burnley I genuinely do because I think that performance showed Mikel Arteta yeah this is what I'm about and this is what I could do in the false nine area I feel like Arteta's sort of a manager who needs reminders from from time to time. Like he's so stubborn about about certain players, and if you you know that that time last year when Eddie's goal started to dry up when Jesus was injured, he wasn't taken out of the team because he was misfiring. He was taken out of the team because he got a little injury, probably similar to the one he's got now. Eddie, you know touch wood he doesn't tend to get big injuries he just tends to get these these little niggles that like keep him out of games um and it was a similar case back then um and and it, it and it's happened again there's a space that's vacated in the team and you know it gave Tr- Mikel Arteta a really useful reminder I, I suppose in his head maybe he hasn't really been thinking about Trossard really 
as much as a striker. Um, you know, we've got Havertz, who's been going up there in, in some games when uh, sort of late on uh, and obviously started in that Community Shield game. And then Jesus has only recently got the injury. Um, but yeah, I think it's only good. It, it's, it's kind of good stuff that this, this opportunity has arisen for him to sort of try different things up there. Um, because we, I agree. Like, I think as we tend to, took us a little while to warm up, but that sort of like last 10, 15 minutes of that first half, we were electric. Um, and a lot of that was down to those little pockets of space that Trossard was popping in. I love it when he pops up on the left and I think it nullifies a lot of our issues as well because often we're we're much more fluid down the right than we are on the left. And when Trossard's dropping into that half space on the left, it seems to solve a lot of the problems. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what we do at the weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if it's sort of another experimental sort of 11. It seems that Arteta's happier to do that against these weaker sides in the Prem now. So, um, yeah, it'll be good to see that. Um, Mac, I'll let you talk a bit more about uh, why you think you thought it was so good yesterday and then maybe we'll dip into concerns, which I'm, I, I doubt there's very much of because it was just very routine. Yeah, I don't have particularly many. Um, here's why I thought it was better yesterday than it has been. Um, and even then times at last season again you know we had this discussion on the main show earlier this week but to go back to the fact that against newcastle we lost with a midfield three that is entirely different from the midfield three that we challenged for the title with last season and against sevilla of course we won with the same exact midfield three um and you know what's different well we're playing against a significantly inferior opponent to Newcastle United. We are playing at home, also a big difference. But it's interesting. I I thought that we that that midfield in particular looked a lot more comfortable than they did against Newcastle. They were given more time, but I think it's been fun to see Declan Rice kind of grow little bit part by bit part into more of the Granite Jocker role. I think we all expected him to come in and replace Thomas Partey, but a lot of his combinations and his touches in advanced areas were really productive. He was a constant source of, or on the, the receiving end constantly, of cutbacks from Martinelli, from Trussard, even from Tomoyasu, who like bombed long a bunch in the first half, made great runs, you know, found great spaces. Um, Truly, the reason I think it was one of the better performances I've seen over the last two seasons is because we combined that free-flowing attacking with increased defensive acumen, increased physicality. But my favorite thing above all was our rotations and the way that the team were really adept at kind of covering for one another. Um, There were occasions when Saliba was stepping up into, you know, like past our midfield line to track Yusuf and Naziri deep and Ben White was up supporting Saka and to see Jorginho drop and Gabrielle slide over and Tommy Asu come in and Declan Rice rotate out to the half space. Oh, hush. Um, Rob's making fun of me for the pronunciation of that. I'm, you know, whatever. Uh, Yeah, I think it was really encouraging just because I think a lot of our performances this season have been a little disjointed, a lot of new faces, a lot of different tactics, some new ideas, and it just felt cohesive in a way that we really haven't seen since last season, but with a lot of the increased defensive stability that I think are, we're, we're, we're prizing this campaign. So yeah, I'd say that's, that's you know the end of my, of my lyrical waxing about why I think we look better, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was really encouraging. And to see us do it with the injury list that we had, I think is the other thing. Because last season, again, we had to rely on our first choice 11 or bust. And this was not and is not our first choice 11 by a long shot. And we did not, in fact, bust. That sounds crazy. Pause. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does sound pretty mad. But I agree. The... Uh... The, the sort of combination of the good attacking play with just the relentless winning back of the ball. 
I, I th- there was a moment in like quite late on in the first half where I think it was Saliba won it back like really high up in the way that we do when we do it really well. And then my favourite thing after that wasn't just the fact that he won it high up. It was then that he ripped a pass into Bukayo Saka. And it, it was just the tempo being that that little bit higher. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just think a lot of confidence came out of our players thinking that they were a lot better than the players that they were facing. Um, which, you know, obviously with Martinelli, that got into his head. Uh, Wan Lu was, uh, was on the ropes, it's fair to say. Um, and yeah, uh, a few of the other severe players couldn't handle the Arsenal players as evidenced by the Rams. I mean, I, I, dude, dude, with, with Martinelli, I'm, I struggle to like think of another player that I would like hate to mark more. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like just such he, a menace. He would be such a pain in the ass. Yeah. Go, oh god. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, but let me pass it back to you, Dan. Uh, the eternal pessimist that is Daniel Finton will kick off our concerns. I'm really intrigued to see what you guys have. I don't really have anything because I didn't get to watch in enough detail. So, uh, oh, lucky listeners, nothing, nothing from me today. Uh, but Daniel and Fint- Daniel Fenton and Mac Johnson will have something for you. So, uh, Dan, you mm-hmm. first. Yeah, the ever neurotic, pessimistic one is is here. Don't you worry, folks. Um, I do not think this season our fullbacks are combining that well with our wingers, and I think that's really also not helping our wingers. I feel like. Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli are, like, easily two of our best players in the team. So whenever I look at them and and I see that they're not firing on all all cylinders, first thing I think with Saka, you guys have seen it with me in the chat, I'm like, oh, he's injured. He's, he's clearly injured. He's way too good to be performing like this. Something's wrong. But I don't think something's physically wrong, to be honest. Um, and now I'm starting to think it, it may just be tactical and I'm looking at both sides here really I know some questions have been coming up about Ben White and Bukayo Saka um which which just sounds crazy because last season they they seemed like the ultimate dynamic duo but I think you have to look at the fact that now Thomas Partey is basically dead and Martin Odegaard has you know been been struggling this season and and just say yeah I mean maybe those two together alone eh, doesn't really work maybe they need something else thrown in there as well um, and then, and and then in this, I mean, yeah, you're right to say about Thomas Partey as well because he had a he has a major right side bias in his passing, mm-hmm. which neither sure. Jorginho or Rice have. Absolutely, and I think that um, you know, it's it's just one of those things. I think Partey would get the best out of Odegaard, then Odegaard would get the best out of Saka, and then from there, Saka would get the best out of White. And I think this, that's just where we are right now. Um, but then in this particular game. I feel like we got to talk about the Zinchenko situation a bit, if I'm being totally honest. Why? I, I don't have a problem with it because I think Tomiyasu is in better form than Zinchenko at the moment. But why exactly Tomiyasu is playing so many games, I think, is is a really interesting one. Um, and if I'm if I'm Zinchenko, this is my canon concern. Why the hell am I not playing? Um, and I, but I thought in this particular one uh, in the Sevilla match, I thought. Uh, Martinelli and, and Tomiyasu did not combine well at all. It seemed like on so many occasions, Martinelli had the ball and then Tomiyasu would literally be, be parked in a left central position, kind of like, hello, I'm here, I'm available. And he's like, I am not passing you this fucking ball. And he would try to just do something on his own, which which maybe was nice because, you know, it just it just forced Martinelli to be, you know, even more decisive than than he ordinarily is but yeah that's that's I guess my main canon concern but I don't even think it's so much from this game in particular I think that's just I think we've always known that with Tommy in that position though like last season when he played there we thought it was great for a few weeks and then we were like actually he's not really contributing anything in an attacking sense and I I think he's been contributing a little bit more this season because he's got Rice there Rice who sits a little deeper and then he sometimes like pops up in these really really offensive positions and you're like oh that's quite cool but like in terms of the consistent like a combination it's it's not there and it never uh, yeah and and then you factor in you know when when a Kai Havertz and Jorginho are also on the pitch who are like okay I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to pass it right away so now you've got three out of 11 players that just get the ball and they just want to basically get rid of it as soon as they get it. And I'm not sure that's 
exactly sustainable. So I think it's an interesting conversation going into the future is like, is Arteta already looking at Zinchenko in our system and saying, I don't like this anymore. This We, we got to move on because maybe, you know, in the tactical system that Arteta deploys, the left back position is just one that's going to change all the freaking time because it is such an advanced role. So yeah, I would say, so I guess my main one is really the Ben White and Saka um, one, because I, I didn't expect uh, Martinelli and Tomiyasu to combine well, but you do expect that from White and Saka. And I just, we haven't been seeing it this season. Yeah, I do. I do also think that like in the last few weeks and this season in general, we've, we've sort of been trying to develop this, this sort of like team that, you know, if you're not going to play well, just make sure you don't lose the kind of team, the kind of team that is going to go deep in the Champions League in the, in the knockout phase. I think that's what effectively we are preparing for at the moment. And I think that's what the Tommy at left back thing is. I think is what Timber was supposed to be. We saw it in the community shield and we're just playing Tommy there instead. And, it does offer us greater like stability in terms of what what we have at the back. Uh, it's it's safer on the ball, um, but yeah, I I do miss Zinchenko in there, and I think when you're looking at more prolonged success and better attacking performances, I think you probably do need to reintegrate Zinchenko at some point. But I, I, there's just a lot of experimentation going on, and so at the end of the day, Dan, if we're picking up the points, that's all that matters. Um, Mac, any concerns? Yeah, well, I I wanted to first start by talking about Zinchenko, um, specifically from the perspective of why he might not be played as much. Uh, And it's just a moment I saw yesterday. But uh, Tomiyasu, according to Arteta, felt something, which is not good, (laughs) um, given that it pretty much leaves us with five defenders now, which is super exciting. Uh, But it's going to be five players here soon. Yeah, exactly. Who's the fifth defender? Oh, Kivior. Kivior. Yeah, because we've got six at the moment. That's great, yes. isn't it? But <laughs> as soon as... I've just kicked something under my desk. As soon as um, Zinchenko came on, Sevilla tried three long balls to his side or in behind him within five minutes. And it's clear that there's a game plan more and more from the opposition to target his lack of pace, target his poor positioning, and target his lack of ability in the air. Um, it bit us against West Ham. It didn't really do much against Newcastle, but different match state. Um, and it didn't bite us against Sevilla because Sevilla are shit and Eric Lamella is washed. But if it were not Eric Lamella on the right wing, there may have been a few scarier moments. Um, I also think... Do you think it's also yeah. sort of like saying that? Do you think it's sort of a swings and roundabouts thing, and that we're going to have Zinchenko out the team for a while? We're going to play Tommy there, and then eventually, like we're going to bring in Zinchenko, and then teams are going to start eventually doing that again. I, 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 don't, yes. I feel like it might be one of those things. I, I, I do think that. I also, you know, I saw a stat that said that Zinchenko never played more than nineteen full matches for Manchester City during his time there. And I don't know if it's right. In fact, I really hope it isn't. And I know, by the way, to clarify, that stat is in the league, that not including Champions League and everything. But that's half a that's half a season, you know? That's 50%. And that's not good enough for what you want from your starting left back. So whether it's just injury niggles or fitness concerns or whatever it might be, I I think there's been some concern over Zinchenko this season. And my least favorite thing about him, I have to say is when he's come off the bench, he almost looks like he's playing a more conventional left-back role. He'll set himself up wider. He's crossing the ball more. Like When he starts, he plays as a pure central midfielder most of the time in possession. But typically during his kind of sub-cameos, he plays more reserved. And it's not necessarily... Is is that because he's coming on to replace Tommy and that's Tommy's role? uh, Maybe, but like... It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily sit well with me to a certain extent because it's not. And at that point, like again, if Tomiyasu is injured, I entirely understand that. But on the flip side, you know, Zinchenko offers a very different profile and a very different style of play to the team. And the reason we all love him is because of how he makes our midfield purr. And for him to be out of areas where he can really have 
an effect on the game and on the ball and on the way that our team plays is a concern for me. Um, that is not my kind of concern. I, th- though, I, th- but, yeah. I do think it's annoying, but I think there'd be a lot of toe treading going on if Rice Agreed. and Tim were on that left-hand side because Rice does yeah. drop deep. And I, does. I, I think until we really get Rice in a position where he can play a, in a way where it's like, oh, we get in that left half space, yeah. get, get up the pitch, effectively be a forward. I think until then, I think there would just be too much toe treading if you get Zinchenko to play his proper center mid role. I don't disagree with you. But yeah, and, and in some ways, you know, maybe that's a concern to have is that the growing pains of this team don't suit the way that he fits into our setup. Um, and that's just kind of a symptom. But no, my canon concern is also to do with our fullbacks. But specifically, it's to do with their minutes um, in the sense of injuries, you know. Tomiyasu, again, has come off of the knock, which means that our only player who is really capable and good at playing right back is Ben White, who is pretty much an iron giant. Uh, he is rarely injured, but he's not infallible. And he is a little bit sketchy in terms of his form right now. So our ability to rotate at the back is bad and getting worse uh, if Tomiyasu's injury is actually an injury. And, you know, I just, I am not worried about Saliba and Gabrielle, um, but I'm rather worried about the kind of progression of our defensive injuries as this season continues. It's nothing to do with Sevilla, really. It's more just we are kind of increasingly lighter and lighter in terms of people, and, you know, having bodies at the back is kind of important if you don't want to, like, concede goals and lose games. And, you know, I'm talking stupid, but it's true. Um, so I th- I'd say that's my concern is just that we right now do not necessarily have a viable solution to Ben White not playing a shit ton of minutes other than Cedric Suarez, which is not a viable solution. So, yeah. Yeah, that's not a solution, obviously. But um, I don't know. I, I'm guessing that there is just a they'll, they'll point to how much football Ben White has shown he can play every season. I mean, as I, I said on the last show, I think this is the first time that we've like criticized Ben White really on this this show ever. Like, especially in yes. the, in the space of a few weeks, because you know, we it's not the first time this season we've raised like concern. Uh but in terms of like actually yeah, criticizing him actively, it's the first time we've done it. So maybe the minutes are catching up with him. Um at the end of the day, it is why we signed a a third option <laughs> to play in in both fullback roles over the summer, and it's annoying that he's not around. But yeah, it's only a few more months now. That well, we have to... you know, luckily for Ben White, he gets a couple week break every. Yeah, know, that's true. That is true because he's he's shagged uh, Garrett Southgate's wife or something. So um, something along those lines. Uh, I, I reckon it's not too long too too long till we uh, till we see like Declan Rice a right back something like that uh, honestly um but yeah let's uh Jorginho inverted fullback like yeah I wouldn't put it past Mikel Arteta um right let's move on from uh from Sevilla uh we're gonna dedicate I think about 10 minutes to talking about this uh because it is the news of the day uh Thomas Partey is not going to play for Arsenal until after the African Cup of Nations, which a lot of you will be aware is in the new year. So we likely won't see Thomas Partey in an Arsenal shirt until maybe February 2024, which is, uh, funnily enough, when we might see Urien Timber in an Arsenal shirt again. And, you know, his injury was, when he got injured, it was painted as a a long-term sort of ACL injury, whereas... Partey's was was painted to us as uh, you know one of his classic muscle injuries, which has turned out to be something more significant because he's under, undergone surgery. Um, Dan, I'll, I'll let you talk about this one a little bit. It's, I mean, let, let, let's just speak very frankly about Thomas Partey's time at Arsenal because, at his best, I think we've all wanted to call him the best number six in the world um, at, at his very, very best. You know, we, we think about the start of last season, but I think when, when we've needed him most, he's, he's consistently let us down over time and time again. Thomas Partey is ice cream. He is so, so, so freaking good. 
one of the best in the world, one of the best things in the world, and so absolutely terrible for us. I mean, the fact that we're so reliant on Thomas Partey to, to trigger the best out of some of our best players. You know, we're talking about Thomas Partey triggering the best out of Martin Odegaard and Bukayo Saka, who, in my opinion, are our two best players. Hands down. Maybe you could throw Gabriel Jesus in there, too. But, I mean, and he's just never there. I said in our chat earlier that, you know, I think you could categorically sort of define his time here with us as a failure, if I'm being totally honest. And maybe I'm being too brutal by saying that, but I just think he was 50 million. He's on about 200,000 pounds a week. And every time we need him, you said it there, Bert, he ain't there. He's, I mean, it's happened to us during a game. We've been in a North London derby and he pulls up and he starts uh, walking off the field and Mikel has to push him back on. It's like, Thomas, you're, you're, you know, at, at that point he was almost 30 years old. It's, Roll around on the ground. What are you doing? I mean, I, I, I don't understand. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I think we made a huge mistake not selling him over the summer. I mean, who's to say he was actually interested in a move? I think he probably would have taken it, if I'm being totally honest with you. Get out of the uh, limelight for reasons that we won't get into. But um yeah, I, I think we're just going to look back on that. And Thomas Bart is going to be one of those players now that we get no money for. I mean, that that's the reality of the situation. We could have got about $40 million for him um, from, from Saudi Arabia is what the reports were saying. And people were so worried about our midfield of him and Granit Xhaka being completely disrupted if we sold both of them. Well, guess what? It's been completely disrupted. But the only difference, we didn't make any money from Thomas Partey when we could have. I mean, it's, it's just... So incredibly frustrating for me. And now we're in a position where it's completely, I think, destroyed our transfer plans um, because we were probably going to spend pretty big on a striker this January. And now I think that probably has to be at least slightly adjusted um, because we're, we're going to have to bring somebody in to fill that role because it is such a crucial position, again, especially in a Mikel Arteta system. Here and now, I mean, maybe you could see somebody like I don't know, Zinchenko tried in there because I love Jorginho. Everybody knows it, but it's just that goes, that expires at some point, Jorginho. It will. I mean, it's just a matter of time. He doesn't have the legs. It'll eventually catch up and burn us in the end. Um, and yeah, it's just it's such an infuriating one. And I mean, shit, Rob, I didn't even think about Jurian Timber coming back. Him coming back at the same time about his Thomas Partey is just absolutely crazy. But look, um, I guess one uh, the the parting words I'll have for Partey is that um, the idea was great. I think it made a lot of sense how we brought him in. I think they wanted him to be a leader in the dressing room. He's not on all accounts. He has basically no personality. Um, and he's overpaid and he's injured all the time. So I just I I, I have a big problem with this player at the moment. Um Again, for, for other reasons too. But then when you combine that with, I'm, I'm on a bit of a rant now, sorry, um, with with guys like Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko, who seemingly are also always fucking injured all the time, you can't function as a title-challenging football club like this. And it has to change. I mean, you got to look at stuff like this. And I, I'm getting a little off trail now, but... You know, uh, Mac was talking about it a bit with Zinchenko not getting a lot of game time in Manchester City. You have to look at things like that when you recruit players. I mean, Jesus did not play all the time for City. Um, uh, 90 minutes, that is. Zinchenko did not play all the time for City. Partey, minutes, uh, his minutes for Atletico were managed very heavily. Why do we think it's going to be different if we bring them to the most physical league in the world? I, I don't understand. Um, but anyway, apologies for that. With regards to Partey, this really screws up our plans going into January. And, uh, yeah, just hopefully we could get somebody to fill that extremely difficult position. Yeah, damning stuff. But I think most of it is, is pretty accurate. I think you're you're probably listening to the three guys uh, of the quad factor who have, who have been most sort of openly critical of, of Thomas Partey and behind the idea of a, of a departure for him and 
I think he does go in the summer if, you know, it was always going to be a toss-up between Shaka and and Partey. And I think we had that gentleman's agreement with Shaka. I think it was always, I think his he was always going to go. I just wonder if you can, maybe the, the departure needed incentivizing for Partey. And it's not like we haven't paid people off in the past. And do you know what? It wouldn't have been that difficult for us to do that us to do that because we would have been getting a lot of money from Saudi Arabia if he really didn't want to go we could have said oh we'll pay off the rest of your contract and you can go and get a massive bonus there like we these are things we we could have done to get rid of this guy um but I'm sure that the football people at Arsenal so have been like wait hang on a second this guy is an incredible footballer on his day if we can just keep him fit for one more season you know naive but you know I, I totally understand why there would have been people in Mikel Arteta's ear staying stuff like that I mean you look at a midfield three of Erdegaard Partey and Rice and you're like yeah where where are the holes in that um you know we, we I think we've we saw it for about 10 minutes against City and I hate to say it but Partey's direct passing pretty much won us that match I, he at his best he is a real asset and this is going to hurt us um so how how do we approach this for the rest of the rest of the the year i guess mac because i i, I think that's what it is because i i personally i'm not sure like this Jorginho rice have a slash erdegaard thing I, i'm not sure it's working like for that long it, we, there's there's stuff that needs to be worked out and i think it especially i don't know i find that it actually works better with Havertz than it does with odegaard i think some of odegaard's worst performances have come alongside Jorginho and rice and of course you know we mustn't forget <laughs> that he's been holding an injury for a while but at the same time um i think offloading him in january is the best move is it feasible who knows Probably not because he'll be injured. <laughs> exactly. Well, not that that hasn't stopped teams from buying players before, but I think that's a tricky one. Such um, as Arsenal, for example. <laughs> Maybe we'll buy him. Valid. Oh, Jesus God. Uh, anything to not pay that man more money. Um, I, I do want to comment, I think, on Partey in one sense in that he's so good on his day. Um, I, I'm a vehement Partey disliker as listeners of the podcast will know, I also did come to his defense in the group chat only from the point that when he was at his best last season, we looked like title contenders. And in some ways I find that he is, he is the blueprint for the type of number six that really makes our team tick. And I have seen a lot of links to Douglas Louise. Of course, it's not our first time being linked to Douglas Louise, uh, but we have to be careful with our spending. Obviously FFP is a potential issue. Um, but just in general, I, I don't know. I don't trust his fitness enough going into the back half of a season to say, well, let's just hope he gets healthy and that'll help us sustain a charge. Um, I think rice it's obviously is yeah. because I, I've seen like all over Twitter and stuff. People yes. have been saying like, Oh, just make sure it's make sure that gap stays pretty small to city until January. And then we've got Partey back. And then you're like, yeah, we've got Partey back, but he'll probably just do his, do his thigh again when he's back. So, so, I mean, I think a possible solution, um, play race at the six plays in alongside him, get ball progression in, and then play somebody like Fabio Vieira in the midfield. Obviously, Emil Smith Rowe is not necessarily the most available at the minute, but playing, Havertz and Fabio Vieira I think has some merit they really haven't done much together so far this season and it could be an interesting project while Odegaard is injured but yeah I don't know I um there's no good way to go about it right in some ways because at this point we can't recoup on the investment so the best thing we can do is future proof whether that means you know buying out the rest of his contract and saying sayonara or bringing somebody in or just making sure that we have the rest of the team fit so that we can replace that, you know, void. Not that it's massive anymore, but like it's also, you know, very clear that he does make our team better. So solutions, uh, if we can't find a buyer, nobody's happy at the end of the day, but there are, 
ways that we can allay his absence and make sure that he, after this season, is no longer an integral part of the squad and preferably not a part of the squad at all. Um, but yeah, I think realistically, my, you know, maybe just because I'm a football manager nerd, my like immediate instinct is to bring in a new body, a new player, a different look. Uh, but I think that's the reason we didn't sell him in the summer is because we were concerned about what would happen if, again, two of the three pieces of that key midfield went missing and we had to kind of rebuild everything from scratch. You know, we've seen with Liverpool, they got rid of all of their midfielders, brought in an entirely new core. And while it looks exciting, it is certainly susceptible to problems. And, you know, I, I think that after enough time at the club with Rice settling in and Havertz hopefully settling in more and a team that is more comfortable playing with one another, I think we have the potential flexibility to bring in a new signing to replace Partey long-term. Um, as to who that is, well, there's a lot of options I've seen. Again, links to Douglas Louise, links to Martin Zubimendi, who is an unbelievable player. Um, I'm a big fan of his. Um, there's also, there were weird links to Quentin Timber about a month ago, Urian Timber's twin. Um, he is more of an advanced player and I think it would be hilarious to have two twins on the pitch together, sign one, have the other return from an ACL. But, um, that, yeah, um, I don't know. There's that kid in Brazil, isn't there as well? Moscano. Yeah, well, there's a couple of Brazilian kids. There's, there's him and then there's one other who plays for Fluminense. Andre, Yeah. yeah. So options from abroad and every you know we have a good brazilian connection it might not be bad to bring one more in but you know i frankly the best i can say is we'll see what happens because there's no perfect solution but if we can figure out a way to limit his minutes and participation while he's unfit maybe have him back for fitness but really just get a some sort of guaranteed long-term investment whether that's a return on parte or a solution for the future um that's the best case scenario yeah well i i think we've shown that, that we can win without him and i've always said it's much easier to celebrate arsenal wins when he's not involved so um yeah hopefully uh you know this and i'm I'm sure it will i think this does fully spell the end of his arsenal career i think he comes back in january or whenever he comes back but there's no way he gets his spot back um i think this is probably that final straw and, you know, speaking of straw, that's what he's made of. Um, anything more to say on, on this one, guys? I just wanted to say, I, I also wonder if this can, you know, sort of lead to uh, Mac brought up financial fair play there. You don't think about the fact that this could spell the end for somebody like an Emile Smith-Rowe. I mean, because if the club have to sell and they have a Smith-Rowe who can make him 30 million pounds or so, I mean, they're... They will do it. You know what I mean? Maybe 40. Maybe I'm underestimating, but Mac, we stink at selling. Um, so Not wrong. Oh, well, but he's homegrown, so English tax. True, true. He's an English white boy. He'll go for about 900 million pounds. Um, yeah, so we'll see, man. I mean, I, I think, yeah, this this is a position we have to fill. I don't hate the idea of, of Zubamendi or... Or Douglas Louise, because this happens at Arsenal a lot. We'll we'll kind of like somebody from afar for a couple of years, and then we'll we'll go back in for them, and and we'll make it happen. And and those are the kind of signings I like because that means that it's not just a phase, sort of like a Mudrik or a Nicola Pepe. You know, it's like a player that we authentically have been watching for a long time, and we really like. So. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the Zubamendi thing's going to happen. I don't. I, I think there's too much smoke without fire here. It's just. I really hope so. It's consistently spoken about, and I think that he's even spoken about us openly as well. And he, I think he just said like last summer, "Oh, I wasn't going to leave Sociedad," so that's sort of why Arsenal didn't happen. Dude, he's so good though. Yeah. He's so good. Good old, good old Kieran will put in a good word for us. Too. Yeah, ironically. Ironically, also on the injury table at the moment. I feel so bad for Tierney, man. Him, I just feel bad for, yeah, because I mean, he's not up. Yeah, but, you know, we, we have heard in the past about Arsenal, like, doing the, these deals to, to butter, these, butter these clubs up. And maybe that, that was, in mind with Sociedad, there were other... I think there were probably better offers on the table for Kieran Tierney um, than a, than a one-year loan to Sociedad. But that's what we took. 
and you, you do wonder if it was with Martin Zubimendi in mind. So uh, we'll wait and see, and hopefully this injury results in something positive on that front and us strengthening in uh, midfield moving forward. Um, I think that's all that we've got for you today, ladies and gentlemen. We'll do our, our spotlights before we go. Um, you know what, I'll just kick it off, uh, as Max already alluded to. I've written today uh, two pieces of content from me, you you lucky pricks. Uh, you've got this podcast and you've got uh, a piece for me on weloveyouarsenal.co.uk. Uh, I want to see how that's play up front uh, and I want to see it from the start. And I've just written about that pretty much. So, um, yeah, do go have a read of that. That's my spotlight for the week. Let me uh, pass it over to Mac now. And, uh, yeah, what have you got for us, Mackie? I've got, well, a couple of interesting things. Um the first of those I'm going to talk about while I pull up um, Twitter, because the second is a tweet that I saw. Uh, the first is, and I didn't notice this, but apparently after episode 176, uh, or sorry, 175, which was our drunk cast, episode 176 for sale. If you were to look at the description, you would see that for the first time, my name appears alongside Messrs. Worthington, Finton, and Karen's Colshaw in the podcast description for the main show, which I was not expecting to see. I was scrolling through the thing to like check what the extra episode was, as we typically do before we start these. And I was like, oh shit, I'm on the main show description. Hell yeah. Uh, about time, you shitheads. But, you know, only took me almost two years on this podcast to get there. Um, However, the real uh, we, some Mac, new, we, Mac, we do some new cartoons, don't we? <laughs> yeah, do Mac, we God, really, yeah. we really do love you. We're just all lazy pieces of shit. No, that's fair. Uh, on Rob's point as well, in terms of the new cartoons, I've got enough gray hair at this point that we've got to change something about it. And Rob's gone blonde, so we're good both ways. Um, the and me and Alfie have gone bald. <laughs> Very true. Um, the the real thing I want to highlight is is a quote from Gareth Southgate about. Mr. Aaron Ramsdale. Um, it's a Fabrizio Romano tweet, but the quote goes uh, on Ramsdale's situation. I think longer term, we're just going to have to see how it is. If we get to March and he's six months without playing regularly, I'm never going to promise things. I couldn't guarantee delivering. I spoke to him. He knows that. I just want to unpack this from Gareth Southgate. Dude wasn't starting Ramsdale over Jordan Pickford when Arsenal were on a 100-point pace last season. So I don't trust his promises in the first place, but I think I think I know what Daniel might spotlight um, vis-a-vis some recent media commentary about VAR and the fact that Mikel Arteta seems to be the only manager getting flack for it. What I have not was not expecting today was seeing Gareth Southgate putting pressure on the Arsenal manager to play a goalkeeper who he's not going to play anyway. Um... Yeah, the, 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 the anti-Arsenal agenda is taking an extra step, folks, and I am entertained and a little annoyed by it. Uh, but, you know, I, it, it's an interesting one to discuss. I just, I, it, the tweet read generally is disingenuous to me, but hell, like, it's, it's, it's I don't know. I think quotes yeah, are such I, an interesting I you missed that. But I, I, yeah. I turned it, off... It, um, it's been a great decision that I've made recently, which was yeah. to turn off uh, Fabrizio's tweet notifications, so I don't see uh, any of it anymore. I, I still have them, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, since um, he's, it's it's since he started doing like more general football news. It's really yes. pissed me off. I always no, had him. Had he also on. gets paid yeah. by clubs, and he only has positive things to say about United and Chelsea, and he never says a positive thing about us. Fucking yeah. his last tweet about Arteta. Sorry for the f up. His last tweet about Arteta he misspelled his name. Like <laughs> you can't do shit like that. I mean, I, I'm, I've, I still have him on cause he's useful or whatever, but yeah, man, just weird guy. And I say that both in terms of Fabrizio and Southgate, but yeah, old just fellas. hop off the debate, hop yeah. off the platforms. Just like, don't, uh, for reference, you didn't see it because this podcast started 59 minutes ago and the tweet came out 52 ago. Uh, so, oh, I see. I recording, see. which is, yeah. On me. Well, I should say the original tweet came out in about an hour ago, but he did a typo, deleted it, and reposted. So, to make sure that you have our full attention, ladies and gents, we don't really get yeah. on our phones anymore whilst we record, Ever. so it's it's on us. Uh, but yeah, Dan, any spotlight? Uh, yes, I just I love that Mac uh, gave a nasty little shout out to Southgate. I've been saying to my my my, my good friend Jason, who's a who's a United fan, he's just kind of a uh, 
He's a he's a good old footy nerd. Um, we talk about like England and stuff all the time, especially because um, I like to watch the English national team, or so I should. I just think England have like on paper the best national team there is, and their coach Rob, your manager is fucking shit, man. Oh like, no, I, wow. I hate that guy. He's crap. He's I cannot like only only Southgate could have a so team in with it. He did, he did. Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice, and screwed up. I mean, he wow. did a lot for like improving the morale of the national team and getting it sort of the cohesion there. But then you need that that sort of next step. It, it saw what United needed under Ollie, uh, and I, you know, clearly they don't have that. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's it's clear we need a better tactician, a, a proper winner. I don't know what it is, but I just. And I'm, I'm, I feel like this is me also low-key, like, hoping for it. I could just see Pep taking it. I don't know what it is. I could see Pep taking the that England job. The England job? No yeah. chance. I just no think... I can, I can see it, because, like, you know what Pep's like. He just looks at the... He always wants to give himself the best chance of winning. Like Exactly. And he'll so, finally have a race. You know, you look at Bayern, he goes to the best club in Germany, the win every year. He goes to Man City, the club that have the unlimited budget that can get him anything he wants. And then if you're looking at the national team stage, if, you know, between us and France, you know, it's I guess it's a bit of a toss-up. But I think probably in terms of making a balanced team, England is the best. So, like, if he were to do national team, it wouldn't surprise me. Yes, but anyway, um, my, my spotlight, Mac probably kind of predicted it. I don't know if it was exactly right, but it's just sort of the media darlings uh, having a terrible week. I just love to see Newcastle lose in the Champions League. The supposed working class Northern English team that's just so perfect. Ah, shut up. They fucking lost in their fucking an oil club just like Manchester City. There's no fucking difference. Um, and then apparently Ange is a tactical... A genius because he had a high line with nine men. If Mikel Arteta did that, man, if that was Jaka, if you like, um, do you know how 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 roasted he would get, man? I mean, wow, he would literally have grill marks on him from the roasting. Um, I just I think it's so funny that like the media now don't even try to hide their their fondness of of Tottenham and now Newcastle have. I said this in the chat. Newcastle took over that uh, Manchester United position of like being the sort of rough and tough, proper British team um, that the that the pundits just adore, and they could they could just do no wrong in their eyes. And it just felt so good to see them lose. And you know, for I, I just thought it was a week really where sort of like football won too in the in the Champions League. I just I love to see AC Milan beat PSG. I love to see freaking Dortmund beat Newcastle. Always good to see PSG lose. Always good. That was perfect, you know. And the uh, the cash getting thrown at Donnarumma. And it so clearly rattled him. And I, I loved it. Um, so, yeah. I guess that's my, my spotlight is, is screw all the corporate greed in, in, in football. And screw the fact that it's not going anywhere. And can't wait for the Super League. Here we go. And just to reiterate, in case I, I didn't make it clear enough... Um... <laughs> man United. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable, man. I was so happy when that happened. <laughs> so wonderful. It's actually hilarious what's going on at that football club at the moment. Maybe uh maybe in a few weeks we'll have some Schadenfreude opportunity. Maybe uh yeah. that, that international break. So I just want... <laughs> did you did you see by the way, did you see Copenhagen's Tifo before the match? No, I didn't. They put up this amazing one. Basically, like the, uh, Copenhagen beat Manchester United in Europe years ago, mm. and they put up a tifo that was like your theater of nightmares with <laughs> with like a bunch of images of like the goals that you, that Copenhagen scored against oh, United to beat them in the so Champions classy, League, and then it fair. came true. Oh, it was beautiful, man! Yeah. It's beautiful. I'll send it in the chat after. Yeah. Um, well, another spotlight for you, ladies and gentlemen, as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's all that we've got for you today. Uh, this has been the Extra Cannon Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, especially considering like 10 minutes before we started recording, I, I wasn't even supposed to be on the show. But, you know, it, it's been a pretty good one. Uh, I've been joined by uh, Matt Johnson and Daniel Finton. I've been your host, Rob Worthington. And uh, yeah, this has been a pretty wonderful show. 
so yeah thanks for joining us ladies and gentlemen leave a like review share it and uh, yeah do business see you later